uh, good to be here. Thank you for uh, um, the opportunity and invitation to come and join with you and welcome to my virtual breakfast table. I'm eating my virtual eggs Benedict and I'm having real coffee, but the rest of it's pretty virtual. Um, and look, it's a, it's a fascinating time. I, I just as a, as a thought to start with, I, I, uh, I think it's going to be a lot of things that we're forced to do in this period of time that we actually go, you know what, we should have been doing those for a while. And I think there'll be a number of churches that do online services. I reckon there'll be some churches that do actually online campuses and we'll have a campus pastor of their online church because I think it's going to, it's going to be something that will resonate in the future with folks. So I, uh, I'm fascinated to see what comes of all this and, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to make a difference. I didn't plan to speak on, on COVID-19, but it'll come up as we talk a little bit because I, when I was talking to, to Stewie before, um, you know, before we, this even happened, we, we talked about let's look at the, the theme of keeping it real. So we will do that. But, uh, you know, this, this um, COVID, just as an illustration, this COVID thing, um, the other day, it's probably the same in your area, but from seven to eight in... Uh, in the morning, the big supermarkets are opened for seniors. So um, the other day, I, it was the last day my gym was open. I'd come from the gym, had to go to the supermarket. I was there about quarter past seven because uh, it was open for seniors. And I, I was there, just shorts and a singlet and feeling pretty good. And I walked towards the door and there's a security guard on the door. I looked inside. There were lots of old people. And I thought to myself, I know this guy's going to ask me to verify my age. Um, you know, then I'm, then I'm, you know, a senior. Anyway, I'm walking up to the door feeling pretty smug and he, he didn't say a word. He just said, morning, sir, and let me go in. And I just had to suspend my pride for a little bit of time and think it doesn't matter what you look like. He knew straight away what age it was. And, and so it went. I, look, I just want to talk about keeping it real because I think it's, and we think about it this time, it's, it's easy to live in a bubble. We can live in a bubble at the moment. We're all living in this uh, coronavirus bubble. Uh, we can live in a work bubble where everything becomes about our work and anything outside of that's in, uh, sort of alien. We can live in a you can live in a retirement bubble. Let me tell you, it's easy, particularly now when you can't get out much. It's it's easier to just live into a bubble and say this is it for the rest of your life. It's easy to live in a church bubble. We can get in church bubbles and we it all becomes around church. It all becomes around. Um, you know, the language we use, the theology we use, etc., cetera. Um, and we forget about what God has called us to be as people, as human beings, not just as believers, but as humans. And, and so I want to share a few thoughts with you today. And they are, they're my thoughts. And um, some of them have been sparked by other people and some of them have been sparked by some of the things I've been reading. They're just fairly, sh I just want to share the thoughts. And I want you to feel free to ask questions. I don't expect everyone to agree with everything. Um, but um, they're important, I think, issues to, to go through. And I love questions. I love asking them. I love uh, hearing them. So feel free to do that. And there'll be a time to do that. I want to talk about getting real. And the first thing I want to say is get real about your purpose. What is, what is our purpose? And I, I want to go back in and we can talk about all sorts of things. We can use theological language, etc. But I want to go back to... Um, the purpose of uh, right back to the beginning of creation. The, the very first words you hear from God's mouth are, let there be light. 
so we just read that before that there's uh there's darkness there's chaos there's you know no no formation no no formal world structure it's all chaos it's 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 crazy and then you see that the godhead are hovering over the over that and, and the first words you hear from god's mouth are let there be light and what is that light i'm thinking about that because it's not it's not night and day because night and day don't come till day four of creation. This is day one of creation. So it's not day and night. What is, what is that we think of in light? But what is the light? And when you go back and look at, you know, what that means in the original language, one of the, one of the most significant translations of that in the original Hebrew language is, is, light, is light bringing order, order to chaos. God said, let there be order, let there be light, let there be direction and purpose to this. And then when you read through the rest of the days of creation, the next six days are about God putting particular parts of creation uh, in order. He puts the heaven and the earth that separates those. He, he makes land and seas. He makes the plant world and grass and trees. And he, he, he doesn't make the sun and the moon and on day four, etc. And then he makes creatures and fish and fish of the sea and birds of the air and uh, land animals. And in the coup de grace, he makes mankind in his own image, the only part of creation that's in his image. No other part of Christ made in the image of God. It's male and female. He's created them. Um, and then God can rest because that's the structure he wants to build into the world. But also he's made other people in his image to do his work. Now, from now on, we can do the work of God. Not that God doesn't still do it. He's still sovereign God, but he actually loves us to partner with him to do that work. So what does that mean? When you move into the New Testament, you find Jesus, for example, who says things like, I am. I am the resurrection, the life. I am the door. I am the sheep. I am the, uh, you know, the shepherd. He, one of the things he does say is, I am the light of the world. But the only one of those I ams that he says about us is, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say, you're the shepherd. You're the door. You're the resurrection. But he does say, you are the light of the world. And I wonder if that doesn't mean that taking on that theme right through from the beginning of creation, that part of our role is to bring um, order out of chaos. It's to bring, to be the light of the world because light for Jesus didn't mean an aura around his head. It didn't mean that he shone from the inside out in the sense of light as we understand it. And when he says you're the light of the world, it doesn't mean we walk around radiant or radiating, but I think it does mean that we are to be people who bring light, hope, order into chaos. Now's a good time to, to remember that, actually. But just in general, we need to do that as, as a believer. We, your purpose as, as, as not even a Christian, your purpose as a created being is to bring order out of chaos. Now, those of us who are believers and follow Jesus, that means we're to order our lives now around him his purpose, we order our lives around his story, his love, his grace, his purpose, his mission, um, his sacrifice. We're to order, bring order in those sense. But even if you weren't a believer, your role creationally is still to bring light and hope and um, order out of chaos. Of course, coming to redemption, we have a new order, if you like, to bring as well so we need to understand that this time particularly this time we are called to bring order we're called to be the light of the world and that doesn't mean your head shines it doesn't mean you know 
you know, torches come out of your fingertips. It does mean you are to bring people, uh, you're to bring uh, uh, order out of chaos. So just we need to get real about that and not try and get into some, some funky sort of thing that that means. That means we are to be people who bring light, hope, reality, um, order out of chaos. We need to get real about God's presence. God's presence with us. Um, I want to be very careful about this because I want to talk about, about the Holy Spirit as God's presence with us and in us, my, my primarily. And I do that because my experience is over the years, there is more confusion per square inch when we talk about the Holy Spirit than anything else in Christendom. You can debate other things, but there's more confusion about the Spirit and his role um, than any other part of, of Christendom. There's more more nonsense sometimes. And, and, and my, you know, I, I think we're, we're, when I first got saved, I was 22 years of age. Um, I got saved in a, in a pretty wild church. And then once I became, once I can become a follower of Jesus, people started preparing me for something else, for something next, that I was to wait for some new blessing or some new whatever happened. Um, and I spent two or three years trying to work through what that was and feeling guilty or despondent or whatever. Because of that, people were pointing me to what they wanted me to do and they were giving me all sorts of spiritual gymnastics to do it, but they didn't point me to the words of Jesus. And that was, that was the difficulty. And no one seemed to point to me that. I'm going to try and share a screen for a minute, um, uh, just some scriptures, if I can do that. You know, when Paul's talking in Acts chapter 2, Peter says, repent and let every one of you be baptized. Sorry, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I'd done that, and no one told me I'd receive the gift. That was the problem for me. And, and even when you go back to the words of Jesus, who uh, in John 14, we read these words when he's promising the Spirit, if you ask anything, um, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper that He may abide with you forever. Forever, He dwells the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. No one pointed me to that, and and said, you know, now you have this transaction has happened in your life. You now have the permanent presence of God living in your life by the Spirit. So I'm waiting for, in my case, a few years to ex expect something to happen that would uh, make that clear to me, whereas no one told me it happened. And that was a, that was a real problem for me. And, in, and when you read in, in John chapter 7, for example, where um, Jesus again is speaking after, uh, after a feast, in verse 37, says this, on the last day of that great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. No one told me that I actually had rivers of living water in me wanting to flow out. And so I spent years trying to do all the spiritual gymnastics. People were telling me that if I got certain gifts that, that then I would, 
I would, that would be a, a clear direction to me that I had received the spirit. No one told me that I had received the spirit, but this transcends transaction that Paul talks about your spirit bearing witness with God's spirit that you're a child of God no one told me that transaction meant that God had imparted implanted himself in my spirit and and then later on gifts of the spirit come but the gift of the spirit um, had come and no one told me that so later on in my own personal experience I experienced gifts of leadership that came along the way gifts of tongues that came along the way gifts of, of uh, wisdom that came along the way but they came as part of what God gave me and manifesting along the way, but the gift itself had come, that there were rivers of living water living in me, wanting to flow out. And I kept thinking, no, I've got to wait and do all these spiritual gymnastics. People tell me things like, you know, just say banana backwards 10 times and you'll receive the spirit. Stuff like that, which is so confusing. And, and so we need to get real about God's presence. If you're a follower of Jesus, God dwells within you by his spirit. They are rivers of living water. They are not drips. They are not um, little, little, you know, inter intermittent stuff that happens. They are drips. They are rivers of living water. And, uh, and so we, we need to understand that in our lives if, if we want to get real of what God's doing in us. Rivers of living water living within us. Now, you might want to come ask some questions about that, but... For me, when I realized that God dwelt within me by his spirit, trusted me to work with him and allowed me the work of, of, of working with him by the power that is his spirit, he's able to do far more abundantly, all the, more than we can ask, think or imagine. When you read the next bit, it's just according to the power that is at work within us. Well, there's no power at work within us. We don't have his spirit. So why we need to get real about the fact that God's spirit dwells within me. And I don't need to be a a sniveling, um, you know, powerless Christian, I can actually trust God to work in and through me in, in real ways. Number three, we need to get real about managing ourself, the management of ourself and, and our reality. This is the important, I think the importance of looking after your real self, the, the oldest part of you. And they, look, these are recent thoughts for mine and trying to get my head around them. So these are forming as much as, totally formed the oldest part of you the purest part of you is your soul the soul for you is not an it it's not a, a thing it's you it's who you are it's the first part of you that god has created and here's a thought for you that your existence preceded your conception get your head around that your existence precedes conception so the scriptures say God knew you before the creation of the world. It also says before you're in your mother's womb, I knew you. So you existed to God before you were conceived. Think about that. that that'll be enough to blow your mind for, for a while. So that's your purest identity is what God knows of you in his mind before you were even conceived. That's your purest identity. Um, and then from the moment of your conception, other things come into that. You get labels, you get things said about you and said to you that actually start to give you another identity as well. They give you a, an identity that comes because what other people think of you, what other people say about you. You're in the womb. Even there, there are labels put on you in the womb. You're, you know, you're black or white, you're male or female, you're, you're going to be into a, a socioeconomic well-off family, you're going to be into a poor family all of those things. And then after you're born, labels just, just 
go, you know, so strong. Um, you're, you're, you're good looking or you're not. You're a cute kid or you're not a cute kid. You're smart or you're dumb. Um, you're a good sportsman or you're not a good sportsman. You're, you're an introvert or an extrovert. As you get older, you're a success or a failure. You're, you're unemployed or you're employed. You're, you're a lawyer. You're a te- All these things come together to form another part of your identity. We are the most labelled generation of all times. We hashtag everything. Um, everything's got to ha- we, we label it. And those labels that are put on us, they start to form an identity for us as well. And so we have these two identities, your soul, if you like, which is the purest form of you. And then there is the, um, there's the identity that you get, you get which, which really is just ego. Ego just means I am. This is who I am. This is how people see me. This is how people live with me. So you have these two parts of identity, your ego and your, your, uh, your soul that live in this tension and the, the, the tricky bit about that is uh, they're both you. <laughs> they're both you. You can't ignore them. And you have, you have an, an identity that other people think about you and then you start to think about yourself. It's an ego. Don't think of ego as a, as a you know, ego is not a dirty word. It is, can be, but, it, but it, it's ego. And then there's your soul, which is that pure part of you. And there seems to be this, this tension or this fight that happens uh, within us. Um, you're, your ego, the ego part of you loves attention, hates scrutiny. The soul part of you loves, loves uh, uh, surrender, loves um, nurture, loves be- becoming into the image of God. So you have these two things happening in your life right now. I do, you do as well. Um, and they're both you. They're both you. They're both the parts of you that, that matter. And you, you start to understand what Jesus meant, for example, when he said in Mark chapter 8, he said these words, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow. So if this is the, the soul hand, and this is the ego hand, deny yourself. That's a, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. Because this, this baby doesn't want to do that. Um, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to, you know, do this will lose this. Um, whoever, whoever wants to lose his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Then he says, well, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Because they're both us. So within us, there's this, there's this thing, because the soul loves to gain, loves to gain status, it loves to gain importance, loves to gain wealth. Sorry, the, the ego loves to do that. The soul loves to surrender and be nurtured. And so I would say that it, it's important to understand the management of ourself is to make sure there is time to nurture and to manage and to care for the soul. Your ego will want it, will have a life of its own. Um, so how do we manage and nurture our soul? That's really important. Um, helps us understand why Jesus said that. Why, what good is it if you gain the whole and your ego, who you are in the sight of others, goes up? If you lose your soul, the purest part of you. And so I would say whatever nurtures your soul, do lots of it. Do heaps of it. Um, if it's time alone, solitude, make sure you do lots of it. If it's time with significant others, do lots of that too. If it's family, if it's reading, if it's books, if it's friends, if it's... For me, I, I love coffee shops. I can get in a coffee shop and think and read and write better than I can anywhere else in the world at the moment. I think that's what's causing me grief at the moment. 
Uh, it's, if it's music, if it's whatever it is that nurtures your soul, that purest part of you, uh, that, that, that the surrendered part, the sacrificial part, whatever it is that, that, that does that, um, do lots of it because we've got to manage yourself. That's managing yourself is important. And the last thought I have, and then we can sort of open up a little bit, um, is get real about habits. Habits get a bad name because we talk about bad habits. But habits are really important. The things that we put into, into, into place. In church world, we call them disciplines or spiritual practices, but they're really habits. Um, that's what it is. And, and, and there's a difference between vision and habits um, that I think is really important. For us, we put a lot of weight in our life about having the right vision. You know, seeing ahead and seeing what's 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 coming up and what we love to be. What's aspirational? I don't think we put as much effort in in, in the habits that are required to get us there. Let me let me put it another way: vision is motivational, habits are transformational. Vision is not transformational. Vision will motivate us to make a difference, but habits will make the difference. Um, and, and that's why there's a term called habit stacking. When you stack habits of, on top of each other to make a difference, you'll be transformed. But you won't be transformed by a vision. That will motivate you to, to make those changes. But I, for example, I could, I could have a vision to be a fantastic golfer. I, I could have a vision. I want to have uh, a handicap of three in a year's time. But that vision will not make me have a handicap of three in a year's time. What will help me that is if I get a bucket of balls every day and go and hit them. If I, if, if I add to that, you know, looking at getting coaching, if I add to that watching videos, if I, if I build habits, then I've got a chance of getting there, but the vision won't get me there. Um, I could have, uh, many people do, new, end, of, end of a year, beginning of another year, I've, I've got a vision of being 15 kilograms lighter by the end of June. That vision will not make you 15 kilograms lighter. What will make you 15 kilograms lighter is take a habit. I'm going to make a habit of having smaller portion sizes. I'm going to make a habit of having more exercise. I'm going to make a habit of, of uh, reading good, good stuff on nutrition. And I'm going to stack those habits. And those habits will make the difference. They'll be transformational. The vision will not be transformational. I think it's even true in church. Church churches. Um, all over the place have Vision Sunday or Vision Month or whatever, and I've got to tell you honestly, I've I've been in situations where we have vision for the year, and a year later nothing's changed because we had the vision. But vision will not transform you. Habit stacking will transform you. What are the habits we're putting in place to make make a difference? Um, nothing that happens on Vision Sunday will transform you. It's only as we all together put in place those habits or those disciplines or uh, those practices. Um, it, it won't, vision is motivational and that's what it's meant to be. Habit stacking is transformational. And they're not, sometimes habits are not very exciting. They're not very sexy. They're not very, you know, we, they're not as exciting as vision, but they're really important to do. And we need to get real about habits, not just think it's going to be fantastic. We need to make some, we, we, we're caused to make, change some habits at the moment. Um, and, and that's what we're having to do to, to that. So um, they're not sexy, they're not exciting. They're usually sacrificial and usually painful, but we need to do them to, uh, to grow and to be transformed. 
So just some thoughts about keeping it real, and I want to talk any longer in this bit of Q&A. So just get real. My system suggests we get real about our purpose. It's really what our purpose is. It's to bring order out of chaos. It's to bring light of the world. Get real about God's presence in you and don't get confused about that. God's continuing to work in you. There are rivers of living water willing to come out in you if you're a follower of Jesus. That transaction has happened. Um, get real about managing yourself and your soul and get real about habit stacking that leads to transformation. So I'm going to stop there and you feel free to ask any questions and uh, I'll, we'll talk about them. Yeah, I've got a question. Um, so, Tim, just you're talking about uh, labels um, and how we're a culture that labels everything and, um, and that, that has the risk of forming a big part of our identity. That, to me, I found very provocative because I feel like in my own life that that's definitely true. And um, a recent example is that Yesterday, I got into a, a bit of a political discussion with someone that got relatively heated and I found myself getting worked up. And afterwards, I found that I had gotten too emotional. <laughs> and, and I just was reflecting on that and I just felt like, as you were saying, it was like, yeah, I think my identity is too much wrapped up in a particular political label there. And um, so I was just wondering off the back of that if you had any practical advice maybe habits in a sense of of how you make your identity um a, you know i guess a christ-centered identity rather than attached to any kind of other creed yeah look i mean i that's i think our identity is very often formed by um who we say we are what we do and what other people think of us that becomes our identity or what people other people say of us and that's not anything to do with what God sees you as. And, and God sees you as someone who's created in his image. You're, you're in the image of God. It's a tainted image. It's not a perfect image, but you're in the image of God. God has given, when you look at God's character, the, the things we know about God are he's, he's omniscient, he knows everything, he's all-powerful, he's omnipotent, and he's um, omnipresent, he's everywhere. Now, we, we are not those things, but we because we're in the image of God, we reflect some of those things. So we're not all knowing, but we have the capacity to know and to reason. That's part of our image of God. We're not all powerful, but within us, God has given us an authority, you know, from creation over, over you know, his creation, etc. cetera. Um, we're, not, we're not all powerful, but we have that authority in, innate that God has created with us. Um, we're not every, we're not omnipresence, but our presence matters. So they're the sort of things that we are created in the image of God. Um, he's, he's created us. And, and I think we have to, to be conscious and it doesn't, it's not as easy as it sounds and it doesn't happen all just because of you're older or whatever. You have to be conscious about what you accept as the labels you will accept. So if that's not true of me, I'm not going to live it. And we, we do live in this tension between the labels that people put on us and we like some of them we like um and, and the real purest part of ourselves, which is the, the part that god knows first and foremost which is that surrender part the sacrificial part and it's just a i think it's a growing habit that i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna look at what people say i'm gonna look at my actions and I'm, is, is that consistent with who god has created me to be 
is this is this taking me closer to God or is it taking me farther away? And I think that's a habit. It's not easy to form. We just got to get into it somehow. And other people can help us. I think it's getting people alongside us to say, you know what, I think I was a bit over the top today. What do you think? And yeah, you might have been. And they can help us. Feedback is a gift if you take it right. Feedback is a gift of two or three really close friends who love you and support you. So I don't think it's an easy answer, Theo, but I, I do think it is, it is saying I'm not going to just accept everything that people, every part of the identity that is formed in me. I, I know who I really am. I'm, I'm someone who God has created in his image and I want to do what I can to reflect that image. I think it's an ongoing learning process. Okay. So there's no easy answer. Really. Other questions? Do you have a question? Can you hear me? Greetings from across the ditch. In oh, good on you, mate. Yeah. Um, I've, I've always been an athlete and I've always never had a problem forming really good habits around exercise. And, and, you know, I trained up, won a national title a couple of years ago in one sport, changed another sport. And I, I have no problem with the training and the discipline to do that really well. Um, but my struggle for the 25 years of being a Christian is to find something that works for me daily that I can really um, that can really enrich my soul because I'm a restless person by nature and I find very, very difficult to stay still and, and spend time in God. I have moments where I'm listening to songs where I'll burst into tears and God's grace will just come flooding through or when I'm in corporate worship or when I'm, um, when I'm out running sometimes. I have moments, but I'm very rarely able to string those together into a decent amount of time you know, on a daily basis. And I, I, I just want to hear from you about some practical things that you've found that work for you in terms of habits forming on the soul, you know, for yeah, yeah. your soul. One thing I'd say to start with, actually, is, is, is uh, sport can be a way to nurture your soul. If you love it, I don't know if you've, ever, you've probably watched Chariots of Fire, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Yeah, amen. Something that Eric Liddell said. And, and, and I think um, it, it, can, it can be a funny thing to say, but sport actually can be a nurture of your soul because it's, it's just a deep down pleasure and joy. So don't think it has to be outside of sport to, to um, develop a good habit. Um, yeah. For per, me personally, I pray much better when I walk than when I sit at my desk. It's just me personally. When yeah. I'm walking and praying, I just sense that, I'm, I'm in God's presence better than I am when I'm sitting with my arms folded on the desk and my eyes closed. It's just, it may not be that the same way for everybody, but so, so don't think, think that. So I would say try and, if you, love, you have a love of sport that God has given you, try and work out ways whereby while you're active, you are conscious of God. That's not good. just I'm conscious of my personal best or I'm conscious of doing well or whatever, but when I'm active, I'm conscious of God. I'd say that to people who love their work. When I'm at work, I'm conscious of the, I'm conscious of the presence of God because His presence is within me. When you are running, the presence of God is within you by His Spirit. There are rivers of living water wanting to get out of you while you're running, while you're working, whatever. So, I, I would say that's why I say whatever you helps you nurture your soul, um, um, do it. Do plenty of it. I, I do think there are some disciplines, but sometimes we have narrowed the disciplines that we think um, that these are the ways you do it. If you just pray harder and, and read your Bible more, you'll be closer to God. That doesn't work. It does for some people. And if it does for you, terrific. But that I could read my Bible 10 hours a day and I'm not sure I'd feel closer to God. I would go for a walk for half an hour and talk with him and and reflect with him and I think I would be closer to God. So let's not get 
narrowed by what we think the spiritual practice ought to be. There's a, there's a plethora so of, good. of those that, that can help. So I would say try and find something that combines your love of, of, of sport and activity with the spirit who lives within you and find ways that you can nurture those together. So I can't, be, I can't be more specific than that. But. Oh, that's great. Now, I think, that, like you say, I think there's, we're sometimes guilted into having to look a certain way and, you know, sit still and, and have a Bible open and everything else. And sometimes that's just really, really hard to do. So, yeah. Yeah. no, thank you. It's great. So good. Yeah. Well, um, but why don't we thank Tim and you can make some noise. Woo! Woo! Yeah, team. It's good. Yeah. We, we really appreciate uh, hearing from you all the way from nice, Bruce Tim. Vegas. And, um, but I'll unmute Tim <laughs> and uh, let's, yeah, if you could pray for us, that'd be great. Thanks, Tim. Sure. No worries. Thanks, mate. Uh, God, we just want to thank you so much that in all this uh, stuff around us at the moment, you are real. Uh, you certainly are real. You're, you're the God who loves and cares and created and creates. And Father, we thank you for being uh, with us today. And, and Lord, I would pray that we would be people who understand our purpose on this planet, that those of us who follow you will know that we are to order our lives around Jesus and order our worlds around Jesus and, and we're to make a difference. Father, I, I pray too that you will invigorate us with the understanding that there are rivers of living water in the person of your spirit wanting to get out, wanting to make a difference in our lives, in the world in which we live. Father, I pray that we will get real about that. God, I pray that you help us nurture our soul. Lord, uh, particularly as blokes, we, we, it's probably an area of our life that we neglect um, as much as anything else, that the actual soul, that basic identity of who we are, that you've, you've chosen us before the creation of the world to be who we are. We, we thank you for that, and we pray that you help us find good habits good practices you have to stack those habits in a way that's transformational for us so we thank you and we praise you in jesus name amen mm-hmm.